Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Feel free to take a seat, and if you missed out on grabbing a communion cup, feel free to go grab one now. Um, Also, if you uh, thought you would survive without a blanket, thinking that you were stronger, uh, and then realised that, no, it actually is too cold, you can also feel free to run back and grab one of them. Uh, So, we have got our communion service today. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name is Brayden. I am one of the pastors uh, here at Lakeside, and we have been working our way uh, through the Beatitudes. Uh, we've been making our way through that. So, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Peter kicked us off uh, and we're going to continue that today. We're up to Beatitude number two. Um, and before we get into it, I want to continue to build a little bit more context around uh, what the Beatitudes look like and what they mean. Uh, because Jesus didn't actually come out of nowhere and bring uh, these kind of blessings or this kind of pronouncement of, of what is uh, kind of like a congratulations or some sort of happiness uh, out of nowhere, but it was actually something that we would see uh, throughout the Old Testament and in other Jewish literature as well. Um, and so, we can see uh, in, if we went to, uh, for instance, Pro, uh, Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, uh, what does it start with? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. If we went to Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verse 13, it says, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Uh, in other Jewish literature, so there's a, um, a Jewish... Um, literature piece called Sirach or uh, Wisdom of Ben Sirah Um, and this is what uh, Ben Sirah says, he says, I can think of nine whom I would call blessed, a tenth my tongue proclaims, a man can rejoice in his children, a man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Blessed is the man who lives uh, with a sensible wife and the one who does not plough with ox and ass together. Uh, Blessed is the one who does not sin uh, with the tongue and the one who has not served an inferior. Blessed or happy is the one who finds a friend and the one who speaks to attentive listeners. Um, And as these blessings are proclaimed, uh, one of the things that they do is they start to create this kind of in-crowd Um, So, there's people who, upon hearing these kind of blessings, when you open up the book of Psalms, Proverbs, or you listen to some older Jewish literature, you start to think, oh, like, I'm actually doing all right with some of those things. Like, I'm not walking in step with the wicked. Um, I certainly do not plow with my ox and my ass together. Um, I have a a sensible wife um, and all these different things. Things that, look, I'm on the in crowd, like, I'm doing pretty good here. Uh, but then there's also another group of people uh, who would look um, at those blessings and think, man, I am definitely, like, I, my, my friends, I can't tame my tongue. Um, every time I go out to plow my fields, what do I do? Ox and ass together. Unbelievable. And I'm on the ass, ass. Oh, okay, there you go. Don't do that either. Forgive me, everyone. I'm going to get in trouble for that one later. Taming the tongue on the out crowd. Here I am, 
I'm on the outcrowd, I'm not in the inner circle, I'm not one who has this pronouncement of blessing. Clearly. And then there are another few who are those who wish to be followers. Those who want to make the blessings, who want to fulfill those blessings. Those who are working hard at taming their tongue, plowing their fields properly with the right animals and with the right pronunciation. Those who desire and strive to be one of the blessed ones, the ones who seek wisdom, the ones who, who walk in, not in the way of wicked, but listen to God and follow His law. And there is this third group, so they are the followers, those who seek to be with those blessings and to reap the rewards of living as according to these blessings. When, uh, so last week, Rach and I, uh, we had an opportunity, we, we used the last bit of our, so we, we got married during COVID, and so we ended up getting all of these kind of vouchers to use because uh, we couldn't fly overseas for a honeymoon and all that kind of stuff. So we used the last little bit of our, our honeymoon voucher to fly to Melbourne for a Bible conference. Um, so we spent our honeymoon going to a Bible conference. It was very romantic. Um, we, we had a good time, and so we were at this conference listening to some preachers and some speakers and uh, doing some worship, and we had a great time over there, surrounded by fellow Bible nerds alike. Um, and one of the great things about Melbourne, or one of the funny things about Melbourne, is that there is such a diversity of people. Um, and so, as we were walking around Melbourne, we walked past uh, the MCG, uh, the famous ground uh, where people gather to watch uh, AFL football, um, and the game that had just finished being played was Melbourne versus Fremantle. And so tens of thousands of fans were walking out of the stadium. Uh, and as a Frio supporter, though, I played no role in helping my team win. Uh, neither do I know any of the players. Uh, but I had a sense of pride um, as I was looking at the tens of thousands of Melbourne supporters walking out of the stadium. Um, and, and then as we walked further along, there was also Harry Potter the musical. Um, and so not only were these Melbourne supporters wearing their scarves and their beanies and their t-shirts, but also were the Harry Potter fans are uh, wearing their scarves uh, and their hats and their glasses and outfits. And there's all these different types of people coming together. And for, for the Bible people, there's the in-crowd, there's the out-crowd, there's the followers. For, for the AFL, there's the in-crowd, the out-crowd and the followers. And there's all these different people all coming together. And just like that, uh, in Jesus' time, there is a group of all these different people coming together to listen to Jesus. And what makes the Sermon on the Mount something so special and what makes the Beatitudes so special is that all these different people that are just so different and so diverse all over the place is that Jesus hits all of them. And the Beatitudes hit all of them and change all of them and, and, and hit the heart of all of them despite the diversity, despite all the different backgrounds that they come from. The Beatitudes isn't just something that is like a, a pithy statement that a few people, we can kind of just like make really simple, but it's something that when, we, when it comes to, to blessed, and this is the in crowd, um, and, and talking about it, it changes the way we, we, thi like we think and we see it depending on who we are. So picture yourself listening to this sermon when you're the in crowd, Picture yourself being this great, lofty, religious person. You're a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a, a zealot or some sort of like priest of some, you know, you've dedicated your life to just being a super duper good person. 
and, and God has blessed you because of that, you have riches and wealth and, and God has been kind to you because of how good and you'd expect if God's Son was to come down to earth, He would just want to hang out with you and learn how did you become such a good person. And you come along to listen to Jesus' sermon, ready to be told about how much on the in-crowd you are and, and how happy God is that you spent your whole life dedicated to being a super-duper good person. And Jesus comes along and says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are people who are meek and humble. Blessed are, are those who, who are peacemakers. Those are the people that aren't you. Jesus kind of talks about this in crowd of people, of those who are in this kingdom and, and are really, you know, like these, these, these are God's people, these are the ones that we're in and God doesn't name any of them as you. Here you are living your life dedicated to being this great lofty religious person, God comes down and doesn't even count you in the blessings. It's a bit of a slap in the face. And you thought that because of how good you were, because of how dedicated you were and everything that you did, you were on the in crowd, you were a part of God's kingdom. And you saw all your riches and wealth and thought it was God blessing you because of all the great things that you had done, when in reality, God's kingdom is so much bigger. There are so many more people that are in the kingdom that you even imagined. There are people that we thought didn't deserve to be in the kingdom, who hadn't dedicated their lives to following God, who had fallen short in so many ways, who, who we thought that God wouldn't have the time of day for because of how they had fallen short. And yet here, Jesus comes along and says, these people are blessed, they're in my inner circle, the kingdom is for them. And so this is what Peter talked about last week, where he said, it turns everything upside down. And then you put yourself in the shoes of this, you know, like a poor, destitute person, you know, taxes, like interest rates at 17% um, and you've got a mortgage uh, and then, you know, you, like you don't have enough to kind of make ends meet and support your family, uh, you know, you, like life is really hard for you, um, it's just trying to, to stay afloat. Um, and, you know, you have these different ailments or people in your family have these different ailments and people say it's because God's curse is upon you. The reason you are poor, the reason that there are family members who are suffering, the reason bad things have happened in your life is because God's curse is upon you, because either you or someone in your family has separated themselves from God. You have angered God. Your whole life, that is how you see the world. God doesn't want anything to do with you. And yet here Jesus comes along and says, hey, this kingdom's for you doesn't matter how separate, how you, how, what you've been told, doesn't matter how much you think you've, you've been cursed or how much you think you've separated uh, yourselves from me or how much you deserve, this kingdom is for you. Blessed are you. And all of a sudden, you're on this in crowd. Jesus has come for you. What a way to turn everything completely upside down. And then we get to the follower. And this is where we, we zoom in uh, because Jesus also speaks very much directly to those who want to follow Jesus. And when he talks about, blessed are those who mourn. 
for they will be comforted. Jesus takes aim at us. And it's and make sure like we when we're when we're talking about these beatitudes, we're not talking about like a new kind of legalism where we're all want to become, we're not aiming to become mourners here. We're not trying like it's not like we can, we're not going to become like a different kind of religious but rather this is a kingdom reality. As we draw near to the kingdom, the reality will be we will become mourners. As we draw closer to God, as we, as we draw further towards this in crowd of being with God, the kingdom reality is that we will become mourners who will be comforted. And, and the, the kind of mourning that Jesus is referring to here uh, is that we should mourn sin and evil. As we draw closer to God, as we see more and more of God's perfection and beauty, as we continue to see how great God is and how much sin is apart from God's plan and purpose for the lives of us and this world, we mourn the sin that is here and we mourn the sin that is in our life. But as we see Jesus, we have hope as we see a restored relationship with God, we have comfort. As we draw close to God through Jesus, we are those who mourn that are comforted. That is the kind of mourning we're talking about. And, and I want to kind of dwell on this thought a little bit today uh, because quite often the way we mourn isn't a super good kind of mourning. There is a way that we are called to mourn and a way that we should mourn. Uh, and and the, the big kind of distinction that I want to make here is, is this idea of mourning because of condemnation or mourning because of conviction. Because sometimes we mourn our sin in a way that we make ourselves or we speak of ourselves as being condemned by God. And when we say that we're condemned, it's this idea where we're saying that, that God is kind of casting us away when we're condemned. There's no hope. The relationship is broken, that we're pushed away and God doesn't want us back. And sometimes we, we act a little bit like that. It's like the sin kind of deserves, like it does deserve condemnation, but with Jesus, there's not condemnation. And we, but we still act as if there is a little bit of condemnation going on. And so, what happens when we feel condemnation, that we, we start feeling this guilt and this shame. And we feel like we've got to kind of find a way to get rid of this guilt and shame in order to kind of come back to God, to, to come back to church or to be okay with God. But, but the things that we have to do in order to try and feel that way when we, when we condemn ourselves as Christians is we have to try and pretend our sin isn't there. We have to hide from condemnation. We have to pretend that we're not sinners. We have to try and make sure everyone else sees ourselves as not sinners, because then they might think that we're condemned. And so, we try and pretend, or we, we just beat ourselves into submission to try and pretend and put on this good facade that, that we are good Christians who do the right things, we follow the right rules, we are the, the perfect ones who kind of like run a really good healthy church because um, if we didn't, we would be condemned and God wouldn't want anything to do with us. We try to hide our guilt and our shame, try and overcome our guilt and our shame by being better people. 
That is not what the Bible teaches us. That is a gospel of guilt, which is not the gospel that Jesus came for. It does not bring us closer to God. If anything, it brings us further from God as we try to save ourselves. There is no comfort in, in this kind of condemnation because it, what happens when we finally do it, if we finally can convince ourselves that we don't need any guilt and shame because we've become this, this good Christian, we, we start being prideful and arrogant and, we, and what happens with that if there's condemnation for us and there's condemnation for other people? So not only do we, do we have this guilt and shame in our own life that we have to overcome, but then what happens when we see sin in the lives of others? We condemn them. We, we treat their sin in a way that we've got to push them away from God and the church. And the only comfort that exists will be our own pride and our own arrogance. Which is really no comfort at all. And so when we mourn because of condemnation, it, we, we mourn something that is no gospel at all, we mourn something that is, that is not what the Bible teaches us at all, we hide our sin rather than dealing with it. When we see sin in the church amongst other people, we push them away and condemn them rather than bringing them back to God. Romans 8 verse 1 says, Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to what? To condemn the world, not to condemn but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands uh, condemned uh, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There's, there's a time in everyone's life uh, as a child where they lose their parents or one of their parents at the supermarket. There's a time when you were wandering down the aisle, maybe the confectionery aisle or toy aisle, and, and something leads you astray from the loving safeness of being with your parent at the shops. And as that happens, you start to well up because you realise that your, your mum or your dad is gone forever and you're never going to see them again. And you realise how much you needed to be with your mum or dad and how much you relied on them and how much the, the being just with them made you feel safe and comfortable um, and you start to bawl your eyes out um, and one of the, the super, like, supermarket people will find you and bring you to the front and announce over the PA uh, that there is a lost child uh, and then your, your mum or your dad comes, finds you uh, and what happens? Mum says, you did it yourself, you're condemned, don't want to see you again, shouldn't have stayed in the lolly aisle. No, mum gets down on one knee, child runs to mum and there's this big embrace, mum wipes away the tears, you run safely to your parent and they love you and embrace you and you realise that you never want to leave them again. And in that moment of mourning and crying, thinking that you will never be seen, you'll never see your parents again and you have to raise yourself um, and live off the confectionery aisle, 
There is a mourning that takes place, conviction that you have left your mum or your dad and that you need them desperately. That is what conviction is when we, when we come back to God and realise that we need Him desperately. When that we can't live without Him, that, that when we ran away or when we disappeared or took our focus of God, that we desperately needed Him and we run back to His embrace. He, he just hugs us, wraps His big arms around us, He wipes away our tears. That is the morning that we're talking about. This conviction where we realise that we needed God so much more to help us in our sinfulness and in our brokenness. The realisation that we lost sight of God and that we need Him desperately, that we're lost without Him. And so we draw close to God. And in that moment, we are comforted by the God who loves us and cares for us deeply, just like your mum or your dad embraced you as they realised that they had lost you and thought they might lose you forever. Our mourning is this coming back to God and realising the brokenness of ourselves. Realising that we need God. Not being condemned, not being pushed away. We, we have hope in God as He embraces us and cares for us and loves us. That is the, the mourning that we're talking about. And as we do that, it's a, it's a time of genuine sadness and sorrow for what was lost. And when we mourn together as Christians, is a time when we, when we can, we, like, just like all mourning is, we, we don't kind of like stand on a platform and, and think about how every, we, we, we lift each other up. We support each other in mourning. We gather together and try and, and mourn together what was lost. And as we do that, we come to God. Mourning is a time where we support each other. Mourning is a time where we gather together. Mourning is not a time where we look down on the people around us. Mourning is not a time for us to hide. Morning is a time where we come around each other, where we comfort each other, where we show, hey, God's waiting at the front of the store. He's right there waiting for you. Come back to God. He's there. He wants you. He cares for you deeply. He wants to wrap His arms around you. He wants to wipe away your tears. He won't condemn you because you are with Jesus. And as we do that, as we mourn, as we come back to the comfort of God's embrace, then we mourn the sin of those around us as well. Sometimes, like when we, when we talk about mourning sin, we kind of go straight to the mourning of the sin around us first. And how do we mourn the sin around us first, rather than dealing with our own sin and mourning our own sin first? And quite often, that does lead to more condemnation than conviction. And the reality is, in, unless 
you know the way to God's embrace. Unless you know that way and how to to be mourning and come back to God, you cannot lead other people there. You cannot take people back to God unless you know the way. And unless you can mourn your own sin and come back to God to realize how broken you were and how much you needed Him, how painful it was to be separated from Him and how much you want to just be with your Father, you cannot take people there. And sometimes we, 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 can, we can clearly see the, the sin of... And it's very... And it's painful. And it's hard. But unless we know the way to our Father, and unless we can see through the lens of our own sin, the sin of those around us, we cannot lead people back to our Father. Later on in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, Jesus talks about do not judge and talks about how you must remove the speck in your own eye before you deal with the plank in someone else's. And Jesus isn't saying, all right, we can't be judging, like it's not some sort of like, everyone does what they want in their own eyes and we don't judge them and we let them do what they want. No, it's, it's talking about we must deal with our own sin, we must see our own sin we must run back to God and His comfort and realize our brokenness before we can deal with the sin of others because we cannot bring people to the comfort and the embrace of God until we can we know the way ourselves. And as a church, we want to be a church that, that recognizes our own sin and, and runs back to God's comfort when we realize that we have lost Him. We want to be people who run to His embrace and run to His comfort because that is the only place where we are safe, that is the only place where there is comfort, is the only place where there is love uh, that we can experience is with God. And we want to show other people the way as well. We want to help people to get there. We want to help people to run to the comfort that God offers. We're going to go into a time of communion. And as we take communion, I want you to be reminded by something. We're we're all sinners, right? The reason that you have this cup in your hand is because you are a sinner. Okay, If if you're not a sinner, you don't need to take communion. But I'm going to take a guess and say that we, we all are. We all need to run to God's embrace. We all need to mourn our sin and be comforted by Him. And as we take communion together, look around. Everyone has a cup. We're all mourning together the way that we fall short. We all need Jesus. We all fall short. And as we look around, we are all people that desires to run back to God. To run to His embrace where He will wrap His arms around us. Where He will wipe away our tears. And as we look around, we stand unified as a people 
who wish to bring each other to God. We want to run to God's embrace with our own sin and then to help others to see the way as well. So we're gonna, I'm going to give you some time of reflection to think about how we fall short. How we, we, sometimes we run away. Sometimes we, we separate ourselves from God. But because of the blood and the body of Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, because He rose again, there is now no condemnation. And when we sin, when we fall short, when we see the brokenness in our lives, this is a reminder that there is no condemnation and that we run to our God who loves us and cares for us, who deeply wants us to see that He is there waiting for us. Take some time to reflect. You can eat the, the cracker in your own time and reflect on the body of Jesus. And then in a little bit, we'll drink together. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This is a cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask Allah to come up. Um, let's bow your heads. Father, we, we want to thank you for your son Jesus, the fact that you would send him to die on the cross for our sins. Father, we thank you that there is no condemnation for us, but rather we can run to you we want to thank you that you want us to run to you. We want to thank you that we don't have to fear your response, but rather you, you welcome us with open arms. That as we mourn the sin in our lives, that you comfort us. Father, we ask that as we see and love our church through the lens of the ways that we fall short, that we would lead people back to the comfort of God. That, that we wouldn't look with condemnation, but rather that we would look with conviction, with the hope that people would run back into God's arms. In your name we pray. Amen.